I want my chips with the dip, that's all I know. I don't want my chips plain, I want my chips with the dip. So bring them this. So we are checking back in with another episode of the Dip Podcast. Might be much awaited at this point because we are looking at some pretty interesting basketball that's happened this month. Mostly that we've seen from the Cleveland Cavaliers of all teams. A team that we have not paid much respect, but they seem to be a lot better than we were predicting them to be. What do you think about that? Yeah, man. Uh it's actually been pretty impressive what we've seen from them so far, uh, especially that little uh, baseball series that they had with Brooklyn. Being able to steal two victories from Brooklyn Nets uh, for the season, that's crazy, man. And like, I know that Brooklyn was obviously still figuring things out, uh, especially in oh, that yeah. second game with having uh, all three guys on the floor for the first time. But irregardless of that, that does not discredit the fact that those Cavs just outplayed those guys. Exactly. Uh, they worked They worked super hard. Colin Sexton went absolutely unconscious in uh, double overtime in that first matchup they had. Uh, the dude blacked out and was just spazzing. I mean, he, he went for 20 straight points at one point. Like, yeah. that can't be denied. That can't be ignored. The fact that he was able to do that against, you know, three of the best guys to ever play basketball. You know what I mean? Like... That's but crazy. To, I mean, to that, they are not known for their outstanding defensive play. They're probably known for more average. But so you know what I mean? Th- that was the kind of game that that was, though. It was just a complete scoring shootout. You know what I mean? Like it just... Uh, the Nets are capable of putting up a lot of points. And <laughs> sadly, the Cavs are rated the worst offensive team in the league right now. But they showed that they have the potential to put up numbers just like the the Nets can. So, I mean, it's just, it was a good matchup to see. And it was good to see the Cavs stick one to somebody because, you know, I feel like they haven't been able to do that lately. That's been their biggest downfall. And I feel like this is also a good example of what people will glorify culture in the NBA, you know? The Warriors and their winning culture, you know what I mean? You stepped in and their energy was just completely different. So, I feel like that's a very real thing you need for any kind of basketball team. So that's what the Cavs can build on from here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just a regular season game. And in the long run, this probably isn't going to mean much for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, how many people can you go on Twitter right now? And literally, they'll see, they'll say that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the champions of this year. And LeBron and his group have no chance. So, I mean, it's not, this is nothing to them. Sadly, right. yeah. Sadly, it, it, it does. It does. It doesn't do a whole lot to them in terms of their 
bigger picture, but it does a whole hell of a lot for the Cleveland Cavaliers right. in terms of their bigger picture and their confidence just moving forward as a team, knowing that uh, when they need to, I mean, granted, in that first game, it was basically Colin Sexton and double overtime. That's what really won them that game. But in that second game, man, it was a team effort all around. Like, mm-hmm. no one was just outlandish with stats that night and putting up ridiculous numbers. Like, it was a fair and balanced offense. Everyone was working together to beat that Brooklyn team. And they controlled the entire pace of the second game. I mean, Cleveland absolutely worked those boys in that second game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest it ever came was uh, coming out of halftime. Kyrie started cooking a little bit and he had a little bit of a run. But uh, that Cleveland defense, which is currently ranked throughout the league, uh, they are currently fourth uh, overall best defensive rating right now. So that Cleveland defense finally locked in, shut Kyrie down, and that was the mm-hmm. end of that. And they continued to control that game. Uh, so great team effort from that point. So this just does a whole lot for Cleveland uh, in terms of their confidence. And God, it was, it was just super entertaining to watch. And like you said, like with the culture thing, so it's obviously important for uh, in order to have a winning organization that you, you are able to build and sustain a, a good culture within that organization. Mm-hmm. And it seems like with this young core uh, that Cleveland has, even if a few moves were made, um, there's still, there's still a good solid base here to form off of um, Colin Sexton. Uh, in my opinion is looking like a most improved player candidate at this point for the season, if he can keep this up. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I think he has a trajectory of uh, eventually being an all-star if he can continue to grow. Cause uh, I would say, if he continues to have performances like he did against the Brooklyn Nets throughout the season, it's pretty fair to say he took a step forward and oh, yeah. uh, props to him. Uh, I mean, you can see it in his physique that he has worked hard in these nine months that they had off mm-hmm. and, and it's, and it's showing on the uh, basketball court as well. So bravo to Colin, man. I mean, I've been just absolutely blown away with his play this season. He's so underappreciated in the eyes of the media because, you know, outside of local media, Colin Sexton's not getting that much national attention. So, I mean, I kind of was the same way as well. What can I say? Like, I mean, the only NBA game I've ever been into in my my entire life was a Cleveland Cavaliers game. And Colin Sexton was the lead guard on that team. And it was his, I'm pretty sure it was his rookie season. So, I mean, you didn't see that much from him, but you could still see that he was a good crafty point guard, you know, and he's super fast. And like, I just feel like I probably should pay more attention to him. Definitely. He caught me off guard there and I paid the price for it because I can't say I was repping him from day one, you know? No, he definitely, uh, he definitely deserves respect at this point. Uh, the media better wake the hell up because, uh, the the kid is impressive and um, I think he's only going to get better uh, barring nothing drastic happens to him. Um, And I just really hope Cleveland uh, Cleveland can keep this up. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about in our group chat for our uh, podcast here. um, We've been talking a lot about how, you know, we've really, we really see this Cleveland team potentially being a, you know, a seven, six seed, like eight, seven or six seed. Uh, hopefully uh, they could get into that six seed so they wouldn't have to fight for their lives in the play-in tournament or the seven and six seed. But uh, even if they're in the play-in tournament, I think they'd be a really super entertaining team to see in the play-in tournament. Uh, I think they could pull that out and uh, find a spot uh, in the playoffs as well. 
Uh, so it would just be great to see them have a playoff berth with this young core, um, just exceeding expectations and working hard together to uh, put out a, a pretty impressive product for Cleveland, which has been uh, slightly, uh, or not even slightly, uh, quite abysmal since uh, LeBron James left. I agree with that. How much of their game do you think is gimmicky? You, I know you've watched more games from the Cavs more than I have this season. So I like, it just makes me curious. What part of their game do you think is gimmicky? Do you think that Colin Sexton really is capable of, I mean, the stats are there for him, you know, but I just wonder what else is kind of working for them. Here's what's winning the games. It's, it's undoubtedly where, where it's starting at least where, where it's stemming from is, is their defense. Dude, they're, they're the fourth rated defense in the league. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to be winning basketball at that point. If you're that high in defense. Um, and it's just, it's just, they play really, really hard. I mean, uh, nine times out of 10, when I watch this basketball team, they are invested in the game and they are really locked in and they're working together. There's a lot of communication. They run a lot of pick and roll, you know, probably somewhat elementary stuff, but it's working for them because they're all committed to it. And uh, mm -hmm. Sexton is is becoming quite impressive at finishing at the rim. And Drummond yeah. has been a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, he may... He may make me want to vomit sometimes when he puts the ball on the floor and he may make some stupid mistakes here or there, but he has undoubtedly positively affected their season this year and has quite literally won games for them in terms of what he can do on uh, the defensive end of the floor and how he's been able to get so many rebounds. I mean, he is just, he's just a beast on the boards mm -hmm. and he can, he can do a little playmaking for them. Like every now and again, like he surprises me with his passing ability and uh, he'll, he'll get a sweet assist and, you know, it's just, I don't think it has anything to do with them being gimmicky. I think it's really stemming from their defense and the fact that they are super hungry. And you know what? They had that nine months off and that's okay. I'm not going to sit here and slight them for having more time off than some of these other teams did. Right. Uh, but you, you better take advantage of it. And I think it's clear that they did. Um, and it's manifesting that way on the court. So I don't, I don't think it's gimmicky, man. Um, this is, this is a real defense and a budding offense. That's good. I mean, that's great to hear because that's what I was most afraid of. I was like, okay, is this Cavs team gimmicky in a way, you know, like, are they just, you know, maybe some tough shots are falling their way that they usually didn't make ever before, you know, and they're just on a hot streak. But I mean, I'm happy to see it because, so I looked up some stats on the, the Cavs during our, before the, before the episode today. And the Cavs are sitting at, I believe, sixth in steals. And Larry Nance That's Jr. is the NBA leader in steals. He has 39 and second place. I forget who it is, but they have 36. So he's got a pretty good lead on the steals. Huge part of their uh, defensive game. They get a lot of steals and then they move in transition. Similar, right. similar to how the Lakers operate. Obviously not the same, but that, that element of steals and deflections, quite similar to how the Lakers, and then they like to move the ball in transition uh, after getting steals. I mean, that's just, it's just a unique way to play, you know? Wrapping back again to them kind of having a gimmicky thing going on. Because, I mean, yeah, you, you can get a lot of steals, but what about like down the stretch when teams starting to tighten together their playmaking and stuff, you know? And are you, you going to be able to rely on getting six to seven steals a game instead of having to, you know, square up and just play man-to-man -man defense. But I mean, 
that's where that Brooklyn uh, Nets series comes into play because coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter, yeah, I mean, it was back and forth, but they were still locked in on defense. And especially in that second game coming down the stretch, I mean, they had control of the game and uh, were uh, beating them by double digits. So, I mean, coming down the stretch, uh Quite literally, there was nothing that Brooklyn was going to be able to do to even come back anyway because that defense really? was so stout on them, and they had that deficit already there. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it not being possible for them to to do that in late game situations, uh, even in a postseason environment. I think, I think this is this is what they've all committed to, and this is what they've been working on, and that's why, that's why you see it happening. You know what I mean? I don't think it's just a fluke. I think this is something mm-hmm. that they have all agreed to work hard on as a team and there it is <laughs> you see it do you think that's something that they like agreed upon once the break started they were like you know what guys we have nine months to stare down here why don't we just focus in on sharpening our defensive skills instead of our offensive because i mean that's what's kind of turning out right now is that they have the worst offense in the league and then they have one of the best defenses in the league so but the thing about the current nba is Offenses are so much better than what they used to be at, like their, you know, rock bottom. I would say that was like 2000s to early 2010 style NBA basketball is that slow pace and not a lot of scoring. So, I mean, if the Cavs had played back then, their offense would be seen as probably one of the best in the league, you know, because more than likely they play at a faster pace. They take more threes, you know, they're taking more shots at the rim. They're not trying to do a lot of post up game and stuff. So, I, I don't know. The Cavs are just, they're a super interesting team. And I like that they found themselves an identity, you know? Yeah. And uh, Jared Allen is going to be a phenomenal piece for this squad. Uh, the dude Agreed. from the first, the first game he uh, played uh, against that Brooklyn team, he had uh, four blocks, uh, just, just a monster out there. Uh Really seems like he uh, is happy uh, to be there, um, which I thought was going to be maybe a bit of an issue, uh, seeing he just left right. a contender to go to mm-hmm. Cleveland. Uh, but no, it seems like he's actually enjoying being there. Um, just he looks like he's playing hard, and you appreciate that, and you hope he can continue to grow as a player now that he's in a place where his role is very clearly defined. I think they have a bit of a logjam they need to clear up at uh, center, but it's clear that Allen's going to be getting minutes he's going to get the respect that he deserves uh, from this uh, Cleveland team. And I think he's going to be a really, really solid piece for this squad, uh, especially for depth in a postseason environment. If they are to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, he could be a solid piece for them. So my question to you is this then. You said they have a logjam at center. So earlier in just this podcast, you said that uh, Andre Drummond Zach is really... Levine. Is it really Zach Levine? Zach Levine? Oh my gosh! You think they're going to try to get him? I want them to go get Zach Levine. I'm not saying they're Who going are they gonna to trade but, him for. Uh, the money is there. Um, you can do a combination of uh, Zach Levine's only making making about 18 million or something like that. Um, you, there, the money's there. You, there's, there's money. Uh, Drummond, I think alone, his contract would work. Um, see, the Bulls aren't going to take to. that though. The Bulls won't no, take that. No, probably not. They need there's to. other there's other there's other money that can be moved. Prince. Um, what if they did this? Cavs say we're going to keep our main core intact. Um, 
We, they know that no team wants Drummond. So they don't trade him, but they trade Kevin Love and Jetty Osman and probably their, um, I'm sure they have some kind of first round draft pick that Boston gave them from that Kyrie trade. You could drop McGee too. You could send him McGee as well, but you put that package together for like Zach Levine and um, Thad Young. No, not Thad Young. Um, Marketing. Yeah, marketing could be good. Yeah, that would be. Zach Levine is allegedly being shopped. Like no one knows if it's real or not. Uh, there's a lot of speculation, but I apparently they've been looking. Uh, the the Bulls are rough, man. Um, and yeah. it's clear that it's clear that they need to figure out what they're doing with this young core. They're you know a lot of people say that they need to keep Kobe White. A lot of people say they need to keep Zach Levine. But also, if they're going to go into more of a rebuild mode, you're going to get more out of Zach Levine than you are going to get out of Kobe White. So more so, I mean, that's why I think they're looking towards Zach Levine as a trade piece. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But I personally think if the Cleveland could pull that pull that off. That'd be crazy. I think Darius Garland would be in that package uh, to move him because for that reason, you're clearing up. Oh, no, no. You move Garland, you move Garland and you're clearing up your. so you keep Osmond then. Keep Osmond, move Garland, and then you got Sexton yeah. and Levine as your backcourt. Yeah, but I don't know if Chicago would want that though, because then they have a they now they have a pair of small guards that they would have to play, you know, because then they have the Bulls have their only shooting guard is Garrett Temple. He's 34 years old. And I mean, they have Garland's- Kobe White playing point guards. So I mean like, move, move Kobe White to the two spot because Kobe White is clearly not a point guard is all I've heard from Chicago Bulls fans this season. Yeah. Um, so move White White to the two and you bring in Garland as your point guard. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. That just, that seems like the Bulls would really be tanking then, you know? Yeah, but if you're going into rebuild. Yeah, true. It's just, I don't know. I guess I don't know any of the prospects that are coming up this year, so. I don't know who's working. Yeah, and I'm for, not 100% on that, but I knew you were about to ask about a trade. So that's that's literally the only trade. That, no, that's yeah. interesting though, because you know what? I feel like that could be an underrated move if that happens, because that's one of those deals I could see getting done though. Somehow, you know? Yeah, and the it would Bulls be huge for their offense. Because I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be huge for the Cavs because then they become, yeah. you know, people stop maybe just whispering about them and actually talking about them, you know? Yeah, maybe they could be, uh, you know, a top 15 offense at that point and not at the bottom of the league. (laughs) You'd hope so. I mean, I don't know. That's that's definitely an interesting trade. And I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of factors that can play into that, especially with the weird kind of existence that trading has in the NBA now, because it seems like more and more, a lot of players have a lot of say in what they, in their destinations. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Regardless, so it's like would would he want to go to Cleveland? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. or does he want to th- go to the Clippers? Does he want to go the to the Lakers? The Lakers. Does Which he? They would have to, to have a three way deal. Milwaukee. They don't have the salary to move. They would have to have a three way team deal for the Lakers to pull it off. But the Lakers would be crazy for him as well. I'm just, I was just sticking up for the Cavs. Is all. <laughs> Do you think Javale McGee is going to end up back in the Lakers? No. I think he will somehow. I think he McGee will. in Brooklyn. What? What? Yep. 
if they were going to be Guy in Brooklyn, they would have involved in that deal. Do you think they're going to? I thought, but do you think they're going to? What could happen with that situation? That's interesting too, because I could see McGee being like, look, I basically just wanted to play with you guys so I could keep myself in game shape, but it's getting close to like the contract buyout deadline. And I want to walk onto a contender like, like the Nets or the Lakers again, you know, or the Miami heat. Oh, that could be good too. I don't know because I mean, McGee didn't really play much in the playoffs though. Did he? For the Lakers. Uh, postseason, he didn't get as many as minutes, no. But he still was out he, there some, you know, at least in the first couple of rounds. So, I mean, I feel like oh, that's yeah. worth it to some teams because, one, the Lakers had Dwight Howard going into last postseason who they were giving big-time minutes in the playoffs to. He's going to give you energy off... He's, uh, McGee's going to give you energy off the bench and eat some fouls for you in the postseason, but there are certain matchups, defensive matchups that he is a, a liability on... Um, and that you just wouldn't have him in there. And that's why he doesn't see as many minutes in the postseason. You know what I mean? Right. So now that we've officially brought up the Brooklyn Nets, I think something that I had considered for the first time today was, you know, all this chatter about the the Nets being this now small ball, forced to be small ball team. Think about who is running the offense. Oh, Mike, I know. Mike D'Antoni who's yep. obsessed with this wing-sized team of NBA players with no height. They, ship, they shipped out their only big man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're only legit big men. I mean, I don't know. You have to give respect to DeAndre because DeAndre is good, but like Jared Allen was the guy that they were going to need in the playoffs. They need him, you know? He was their defensive bolster on the block. I mean, yeah, okay, you can get that from KD, I guess, in the low block because KD is good at blocking shots. But I don't know. I don't know what the Nets are going to do. But like, I think you're going to see because... D'Antoni's fingerprints all over this offense. Exactly. And all, you can already see that. Exactly. Because, yeah, they're going to this hyper no bigs basketball, you know? I mean, granted, Kevin Durant is a big, but he's not, you know, he's a guard big. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, he's just so lanky. Uh, there's certain matchups that. And, you know, it's tough for him, but I mean, just in terms of being a shot blocker and protecting mm-hmm. at the rim, um, his his height is just a huge asset for them. And that's what I said in the, my uh, uh, expectations for Brooklyn Pod that I just did with uh, our uh, friend from Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Like Kevin Durant has to be the defensive anchor for this team, undoubtedly. Oh, that's so that's so much from him though. Coming off an Achilles, and now you're like, hey, you are the defensive go-to guy. You're the guy that's going to He's going to be getting the toughest matchups in the postseason. Oh my God. You know he is. At least he knows he'll never have to guard Giannis because they'll never meet in the playoffs. <laughs> that's true. Uh, <laughs> Maybe they will. But yeah, D'Antoni, man. D'Antoni's influencing this for sure. And uh, Oh yeah. The, these small lineups are really interesting um, and they have the capability to just blow people off the court with their small lineup. <laughs> like it, it's, it's, it's a potent offense. Yeah, definitely. But you just, they just have so many questions on defense. And I mean, I don't know. Those guys are definitely going to step up in the long run when it comes to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Kyrie will step up his game defensively. They all do it. That's what everybody that's, good in the playoffs does. You know what I mean? You try to maintain the same level of offensive output while putting a lot more effort in on defense. 
that's what's going to take you places. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I just feel like at this point, we're all beating a dead horse because when anyone brings up the Brooklyn Nets, the immediate question is like, well, what about the defense? And it's like, <laughs> I myself am getting tired of asking it, but I continue yeah. wanting to ask it because like the... It, it is my basically at this point, my only question for them. I'm not concerned about these guys fitting together on the court anymore. Like, I think that's going to be fine. And if you need to, you can stagger minutes. And quite frankly, the only thing that I think that's going to need to be staggered is like Kyrie and Harden. Mm-hmm. I don't like them that great as an on-court fit. Um, but that's why they need and James back. together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, KD and uh, James Harden together is nice, and Kyrie and Harden mm-hmm. together is nice. I'm not the biggest fan of Harden and Kyrie together, so definitely stagger that. Uh, other than that, I'm not really. I don't see the chemistry being an issue. Um, it really is that defense, but it does. I'm sure they're probably getting tired of it too. <laughs> Everyone talking about it, like that's yeah, the definitely. only thing that gets talked about. Um, so. I don't know if you want to go ahead and move on from uh, that into our uh, next big segment that we had planned then for today. Yeah, unfortunately, as humans are, we have error. You know, you can't avoid it. And, you know, it's fun to listen back on some of our early podcasts, especially from this season. Well, we only had this season, but still. The preseason. The preseason lookouts, that we, outlooks that we had. They're a little bit bordering on cringy to say now because I definitely was bashing the Los Angeles Clippers a lot harder than they deserved. And they've definitely had a right to make me keep my mouth shut about them because they are showing out this season and they are playing together as a unit. And I can definitely so you tell regret this team, slandering them then, eh? Yes, I regret slandering them, but I don't regret hating on them. <laughs> Well, if that I'll, never, I'll never blame you for hating on them because I'm right there with you, buddy. Because, you know, they're just the villain. They're trying to be the villains of the NBA. So you know what? You might as well hate them. They're outright trying to be the villains. The black jerseys. They just, yeah, like they're decked out in like some kind of super villain kind of outfit, you know? They're... They're playing hard though, man. And they're the number one offense in the league right now. And I'm right there with you. Like as much as I don't want to see these guys win, uh, they're a good freaking basketball team. And Paul George, Paul George has played a lot better this season. Uh, And when Kawhi is available, he has been playing pretty decent as well. Uh, But Paul George, I would say is the standout um, between the tandem so far. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like a lot of talk that I've seen online has just been about how good Paul George has been this season. And I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, of course, Paul George is coming back silencing the haters and stuff. I'm like, well, it's got to happen during playoff season too for him to silence those haters. It's got to happen come playoff time because that's how he's truly going to silence people, right? Right. His revenge tour can't just be for the regular season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like probably his run in the the bubble definitely uh, motivated him for this this streak that he's on. But yeah, he's putting up MVPG level numbers <laughs> that <laughs> 2019 season that he had. He, I mean, 
I'm glad to see him return to form again because he definitely seemed like he could be this super small forward and arguably one of the best small forwards in the league that last season that he had with Oklahoma City, but they just fell flat in the playoffs. And I mean, I feel like him and we've always questioned the the Kawhi and Paul George fit. And it just, I don't know, it confused me when it happened in real time as well. So I don't know. I just, I definitely respect the way that they're playing right now and how they've put it together because their role players definitely seem to be stepping it up in a big way. And I feel like they've probably had a little bit of a culture shift by getting rid of Montrez Harrell. I mean, who, who was a key mm-hmm. piece to that core. So you mm-hmm. take one of the vital pieces out of that, out of that core and instantly it just kind of takes away from, it removes you from that culture that you had before. So I don't know. I guess I'm glad well, to see what you rank well. them as in our off season outlook. Where'd I put you them at like, like six or seven. Yeah. They were totally sure it was seven. That. So yeah, I was hardcore hating on them. Because they're number two in the West right now. And at this point, I don't see them uh, tanking to the point of dropping to uh, number seven. Exactly. Yeah. So how much of this do you think is coaching? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. I mean, if you think about the kind of offense that Ty Lue was running in Cleveland for LeBron, I'm sure there's pretty significant elements from that playbook that's in this Clippers playbook. You know, maybe he's not running the exact looks because... LeBron James is LeBron James, you know, he's the, he can basically (laughs) configure any kind of play that he wants and it's all just kind of on the fly. So Ty Lue definitely worked around that, but still had a legit offensive system for the, like for the rest of the team, like, you know, so I can definitely see the current role players and stars on this Clippers team fitting pretty well into those roles because you have a dominant playmaker in Kawhi and a dominant playmaker through shooting with Paul George. So, I mean, those guys are going to be able to come off screens, especially Paul George and hit a lot of good shots. Also keep the ball in rhythm and stuff. You know, they're always swinging it around. So I don't know. They, they just seem to have a much more competent offense this season. And it's definitely showing. So I can't hate on them any longer until they give me a reason to hate on them again. You know, <laughs> Well, and you signed them in our sign and trade episode. So you kind of, you kind of showed some regret there, but I think it's clear now that you, you really regret that take. (laughs) I mean, in reality, I don't really regret it, but you know, in in terms of uh, discussion, irrational. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Well, my first uh, regretful take from the offseason outlook uh, is actually my take on the other LA team, which is the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I claim that they were going to be the three seed and currently they have the lead in the West and they have the best record in the league overall. Uh, I really didn't see this happening. Honestly, I thought they were going to start have a really slow start to the season. I thought we were going to see really little to no uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis considering they're just coming off of a title run and only had, you know, 71 days or whatever it was of an off season, mm-hmm. uh, which is just fucking crazy. Um, so I really didn't think we we're going to be seeing a lot of these guys. And quite frankly, uh, we've been seeing a lot of these guys and there has been um, some more uh, management of their minutes within the games themselves. Uh, you know, maybe coming out earlier, not playing quite as many minutes, uh, but they've been there. And really, I thought there was going to be a decent stretch of games at the start of the season that they just were not playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they completely uh, proved me wrong there. 
Um, LeBron James is still performing on a, an extremely high level at a nightly basis. And I really didn't expect him to be doing that as much uh, this season. I thought he would be really managing himself uh, mm-hmm. more than ever. And quite frankly, he's going to be in the MVP conversation again, which is just fucking crazy because the dude's 36 years old. So I don't know why I ever thought that this team was going to be the three seed because I see them finishing at the top of the West um, at, at the least um, the two seed. Uh, but no, I really, I really see them finishing at the top of the West and just basically coasting through the season. Um, there's so there's, there's so much depth on that team and uh, they play really well together and they've been, there's been a few games that they've just blown people out and they've had a few close mm-hmm. calls as well. Uh, and another reason, uh, another thing I regret is uh, with them is I actually enjoy the Montrez Harrell and Marcus Saul additions. I was a little, uh, a little down on those uh, when it was first made, mm-hmm. uh, but I actually like the way these guys fit in with this squad and they've been able to develop good uh, chemistry with the other players. So seems to be going good. So yeah, I definitely regret saying that my LA Lakers were going to be the three seed man and ever slandering LeBron and saying that he was taking a step back because the dude is not taking a step back. Well, consider LeBron's running mate as well. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has been balling out this year as well. People are saying he's having some kind of down year. Hardly. This guy is still seeing the success that he saw in the playoffs and last season, you know, on this team. LeBron and AD are just this extremely dynamic duo. And Anthony Davis is pretty much close to a perfect power forward. So, I mean, like, (laughs) of course this team is going to see the success that it has. And I feel like I definitely was there with you with downing them a little bit because, you know, you do consider in the fact that LeBron is, yes, 36 years old and they just came off of a deep finals run where they put away Jimmy Butler in the finals and... It's tough to come back off that, but it, it arguably it seems like the Lakers chemistry is stronger this year than it was last year. I feel like they really discovered their identity and had a great culture last season. So this year they only improved upon it. And I mean, yeah, it was it's it's regretful to look back and say that they were only going to be the three seed. But still, that's still a super successful season. But yeah, these Lakers, they're keeping up on that elite category. And it's it's good to see. Yeah, and I I even think I went as far to say some bogus shit like their <laughs> floor would be like the four seed. You know what I'm saying? Like I even yeah. gave them like the potential to potentially like maybe be the four seed. And like, dude, that ain't happening. These guys are winning the West, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. At at the absolute worst of the two seed, but they are winning the West, in my opinion. They're winning the West. Uh, so hopefully, don't make me regret that take, please, for the love of God, <laughs> Lakers. <laughs> don't make me regret that one too. Please finish strong and continue this pace because uh, I love to see it. So what do you think? Imagine yourself uh, walking into a Lakers practice one day, responsibly with a mask on and everything before anybody calls us out. But Ben walks into Lakers practice one day. What do you think that energy is like? Uh, I think it's probably super relaxed at times and at other times um, just very calculated. You know what I mean? I feel like a LeBron, I feel like a LeBron James team is very calculated in what they do. They probably, they're probably very regiment, just very intense in uh, certain elements of their practice. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just feel like 
when you're when you're coaching a team with LeBron James, uh, LeBron James is probably going to be doing a lot of that coaching with you, uh, especially in an off court environment like practice and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I just he he he. It's probably you know like like I said, relaxed at times, but uh, the majority of the time, it's probably very regimented and very uh, very serious. I would think um, yeah, because intense. these guys these guys take their jobs pretty pretty serious and uh yeah i can imagine it being intense uh they probably work pretty hard see if you ever get on youtube and watch like some i I think it's called b-ball breakdown with coach nick his videos his videos are usually pretty good on youtube but the thing is is that he like sometimes sponsors these like basketball training gloves or something like that and it shows people going through drills wearing these gloves so that it improves their handle because it makes the ball you know like slippery in your grip have you seen those Mm-hmm. I think I've seen and, those. Yeah, and you wonder. You're like, you're like people have these like elite basketball academies that prepare you for the next level and teach you all the fundamentals and stuff and like all these weird like little idiosyncrasies of basketball that you become knowledgeable of. You know, and you got to think that like when you're playing on the level that NBA players are, yes, they probably dedicate some things to that and strength and conditioning. But you have to imagine that a practice with an NBA team has to be they show up, they warm up shooting, they run like threes, fours to 11 or 21, like six times in a row. They just run the courts, then play one-on-one afterwards and then leave. You know, that's how those guys, I feel like that's how they just keep themselves into shape during the during the season, you know? They probably do a lot of drilling and stuff like uh, and just uh, different, different, uh, plays they probably run their sets through you know what I mean and figure out what's working and whatnot. Um, it'd be really sweet to like just even talk to like a coach or like someone from the staff or just like a bench mm-hmm. rotation player about what a practice is like so maybe if we ever get the opportunity to do that that'd definitely be a question to ask um, but let's go ahead and move on uh, what was your uh, next uh, regretful take that you had so I don't know if this one is going to come out of surprise but Gordon Hayward has looked pretty good for the Charlotte Hornets. He's scoring an all-time high in points per game, shooting over 40% from three, 50% from field goal, or at least from the field, you know? So he's having a pretty good year. I feel like he's been a positive asset for this Hornets team, at least. I don't know exactly what their record is. I know they're not... I think they might be at least in playoff territory, but... I don't know. I don't, I'm not a true believer in the Charlotte Hornets, but it seems like they at least have some good pieces to work around there. You know, they're not a total lost cause. Let's see. They are sitting at six and nine. So that's good enough for the 11th seed in the, the East. So not great right now. How much of, uh, how much of Hayward's stats being um, up, you know, like in terms of like how much he's scoring, like, how much of that can be accredited to the fact that his usage is probably up? Yeah, true. Definitely. Because he's for sure the star of that team at that point, you know? And I feel like that's probably just what he wanted in, in Boston. Come to think of it, you know, he wanted to move on there from there because he wasn't the star of the team. Yeah, 100%. He wanted to, he wanted to be the guy. Um, and he seems to be the guy. In Charlotte, um, it's not turning into winning basketball, uh, but it's fair to say that we were uh, pretty harsh on basically saying that he was just trash, but it's clear that he <laughs> can still go out. 
still go out and score. Um, not that it's manifesting and moving towards winning basketball, uh, but nonetheless, he can still go out and get a bucket. That's clear. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I don't know. The the Hornets are a weird team, you know, with LaMelo Ball and like their three-guard rotation of like uh, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball. It's just, you know, it's weird to see. They're, they're a team that I kind of always had them in the same conversation as the Cavs. I was like, they don't really have an identity, you know? So they're, they're still searching for that. And it probably seems like they could have a similar outbreak as the Cavs if they stepped it up on the defensive end. But yeah, I just, I thought it was interesting how Gordon Hayward has actually kind of showed out and showed that he can be a good player. I mean, because you can't ignore the stats. If he's scoring the ball efficiently, then he's a positive asset for that team. And he's probably at least garnered them a couple of those six wins, even though they're below 500. I mean, they're not totally tanking, but they're definitely not one of the premier teams in the East. So I don't know. It's just, it's good to see him, I guess, get more of a footing because it seemed like he really lost a step after his injury. But, you know, I'm not going to come out and say I'm a, a fan of his now because he's stepped up for the Hornets. <laughs> so, I mean, right. it's it's just interesting to see how he's turned it around, though, because you can't say he's not doing at least somewhat of a good job. Well, then to contrast your uh, regretful take, I'll bring in my next regretful take. And the reason it's a contrast is um, this gentleman has... Uh, arguably regressed um, this season. And this is someone who, you know, I was looking at the young core of their team and there's, there's two guys on this team that are, uh, you know, really uh, budding, uh, budding all-stars have Mm -hmm. decently high ceilings. And uh, overall their team has been quite underwhelming. Uh, Even those two guys I just mentioned have been a little underwhelming. Uh, But this third guy who's a part of this young core on this team you know, I felt like his ceiling wasn't nearly as high as his two counterparts, but I thought maybe, you know, he could keep pace with them to some degree and take maybe a half a step forward. Um, and of course, I'm speaking on Lonzo Ball and the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, uh, yikes. Lonzo yikes. has just been terrible, man. Uh, 38% from the field, 29% from the three, what? 12 points a game, three rebounds and four assists. He's averaging three less assists than he did last year. And like his assists are like what makes him a valuable player. So granted, there's a long way to go with this season. Uh, but if he keeps that up, he's actually declining in terms of uh, assists and just overall. Um, and the shooting's not there, man. And that continues to be the main problem for him. Uh, it's abysmal right now. And I regret saying that he was going to be taking uh, half a step forward. And quite frankly, I regret being positive about the New Orleans Pelicans because <laughs> they cannot play defense, bro. And Zion, yeah. Zion cannot play defense. And he, he is going to have to lose weight. And I think there's something that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge too, is I don't think he's ever going to be the same player after that injury he suffered last year. Damn, really? Yeah, I think it's actually legitimately affected him, and I don't think he can jump nearly as high as he used to be able to. He's... I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to go as far as that kind of a take, but he's still got some pretty insane bounce, I feel like. But I don't know. Like, uh, Yeah, I definitely agree with you. He cannot play defense on an NBA level, and it's going to come down to the fact that, yes, he needs to increase his conditioning. And... Like, yeah, we get it. Like, he's bulky and he's big and he can push guys around. But he can be just as strong and be lean as well, you know? And be more suited for that NBA sprint-style game. You know what I mean? 
because he's definitely shown that he can have the speed to keep up with guys even at this weight. So, I mean, if he takes a little off the edges there, think about who else had a similar situation. Nikola Jokic. Jokic definitely needed to cut some weight down because it was affecting him. He wasn't able to do the long stretches that the Nuggets seem to love getting themselves into, you know, those 60-minute games. But, like, Jokic had to... Jokic had to lock down his conditioning and it's going to come down to that for Zion too because if he wants to be a legitimate defensive threat then he's going to have to increase his conditioning. And the dude the dude moves so slow he can't even close out like he's too big that he can't even close out on perimeter shots. Oh you know my what God. I mean? Like it's it's that bad like and I've only heard like one other podcast address it in terms of like yo does anyone else see like how poorly this dude is on defense? Like it is bad, uh, but yeah, and and Lonzo has really uh, made me regret that take, and the Pelicans have overall made me regret my entire view of how their season was going to go. I'm um, not saying they can't turn some things around to a certain degree, right. uh, but I don't think they'll be reach. I don't think they'll be, you know, close to their ceiling that I had for them. They'll probably be closer to their floor than I had for them. Well, consider this. Um. What do a lot of people hate on Ben Simmons for? Not being able to shoot. So I saw a graph the other day. I believe it was before the... It was like the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. And it had a shot chart of all of Zion's um, shots that he had taken so far in the season. And he had taken about five or six shots outside the paint. I'm not even joking you. Oh yeah, this guy has interior. completely funneled all of his range, and I don't know why. Like he's shown the ability to be at least a competent outside shooter, and he's not even I trying. I don't care how strong this guy is. NBA defenders are gonna be able to lock him down because there are guys that are just as strong as he is, even though he gets you know lauded for it. There's guys that are going to be able to push him down in the post, you know, like even though Zion's probably going to be able to hold his own, being able to post up, just driving to the rim all the time and trying to get points at the rim. Like that makes him so much less of a dynamic offensive threat at all. And he will get shut down because who's been the, in the MVP postseason? Of the league definitely. For the last, exactly. Who's been the MVP of this league for the last two years? And a what guy happens who only to him? drives and dunks. Exactly. And what happens to him in the playoffs? He's lost he's lost is what it comes yep. down to so he has to pick up on better habits you know and i feel like that's going to be another thing too he has to fix his jump shot like his jump shot yeah. is slow and it's really grounded and zion's mm-hmm. zion's big but he's not that big he can't just shoot over guys like that his three is pretty much only good if he has a wide open look and guys right. are sagging off of him maybe that's what he wants though i don't know Maybe that's what he wants his game to evolve to is that guys start sagging off for him in the future and um, he can start shooting the wide open three more. But yeah, like it's funny that you said that though because I haven't seen much criticism of Zion either. And the Pelicans, I feel like, I don't know why everybody would be afraid to trash on them because I don't know, Zion's the golden boy of ESPN. So I guess you don't, they're not going to criticize him. <laughs> so yeah. And, and, and the funny thing is, is John Morant, John Morant should be getting the respect. Not exactly. Zion exactly. Yeah. John Morant should be that guy in the media's eyes because John Morant's team is actually, I don't know, good. And is, they're the number two oh, defense in the league right now. They're a well-built team as built team as well. Yeah. I believe that the number two defense and they needed to step it up on defense too. So 
and John Morant's the forefront of that. So let him get the attention. All right. So we'll go ahead and move on to our, uh, the final takes here, the final take here for the both of us, uh, cause it is a shared, uh, shared regret here that we both have. Um, and that is, is poor Portland trailblazers. Those poor souls. Now, they're poor souls and granted they are sitting, uh, fourth in the West right now. Uh, but that's surely going to change with these, uh, recent injuries they've, uh, encountered. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Especially when they're back to playing basketball again, because, the funny thing is, is they went from sixth to fourth and they hadn't even played a game in like what, 10 days or something. It's been forever right. since the Blazers have played, but yeah, dude, like I've definitely been able to tune into more, um, Blazers games than I have any other, any other teams. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I have a lot of critique of how they play because I feel like as successful as they've been running that two guard lineup, you know, and just letting those guys work with CJ and Dame. Sometimes I really wonder, are they just Harden and Westbrooking themselves? You know, they get theirs during the regular season because they play this kind of almost gimmicky kind of basketball where they can size up guys and take these like step back shots and stuff. And CJ does that so much from the mid range and had the, the uh, reputation of doing it for years because that's all the shot that he wanted to take. He needed to take more threes and he needed to expand his game. So this season, that's why he's really taken a big step is because he's moved away from taking those size up mid range shots, but he's still incredible at them. Like CJ's moves in the mid range are just, they're almost unmatched, but I don't know. Like sometimes I just, even though they're putting up points, I still get kind of frustrated watching the Blazers play because they really don't move the ball that much. They really don't. If it's in one guy's hands to start the possession, usually it ends with him holding it and or taking the shot. And I mean, they definitely do a lot of uh, movement out of the post. Like Nurkic is usually responsible for a lot of the ball movement, which is interesting, I guess. And they obviously feed it to Cantor because Cantor is having a low-key career season, at least in field goal percentage and scoring. So they're just... They have absolutely no identity on defense. And that sucks because they have two great wing defenders in Robert Covington and um, Derek, Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, Derek Jones Jr. And Derek Jones Jr. is a pretty good player. Like he's a guy that I want to have on my team because he he's an average shooter at best, but he's this extreme athlete, and all he does is just fly around the floor. And I would say that's one thing I definitely don't regret saying about for the. Portland Trailblazers is them getting Derek Jones Jr. He's made a real impact for them on defense. Granted, he's been about the only one. And that's why it's, his effort has definitely been kind of wasted in ways is because you see guys that aren't putting that same kind of effort out. And I hope he can stay with his team long-term. And I definitely love the fit of Robert Covington. And I hope he can start hitting a couple more threes because he's definitely been cold. And that's definitely contributed. Uh, really cold. Right? Cold is an understatement. Exactly. Like he's just missing wide open ones and he's missing ones in rhythm and everything. It's just sad to see. And I don't know. You you hope he's going to step into rhythm here soon. Rodney Hood. We used to rep Ugh. Rodney Hood, but oh my God, man, you look atrocious Ugh. and borderline unplayable. Unplayable. This guy can't get any shot of his own. He just looks lost out there. He definitely gets abused on defense. 
my God. Like not the same guy after that Achilles, man. Exactly. I mean, granted, this is his return from his Achilles from the Achilles injury. So he went, I think, 10 months without playing basketball at all, if not more than that. And he definitely lost all of his rhythm, is what it seems like to me. Like you see. You can't compare him to KD at all because KD is just that next level player. But KD's had a positive return from his devastating injury, and Rodney Hood obviously showing that that isn't a lot. That isn't the same story for a lot of guys that come off of that injury. So you hope no. he can start to maybe form himself again as a shooting guard for the Blazers. But he's just another one of the disappointments that you've seen, and their defense. Their <laughs> some of their players are just in really hardcore slumps. I feel yeah, like and in, one. Or no, what were oh, you go saying? ahead. My bad. Well, something that you and I both have always called out about the Blazers is how soft does Yusuf Nurkic look in the post? He looks like anybody could take him down there. You know, he's not, like he looks like a strong gust of wind would blow him away. Exactly. Yeah. Thank God he <laughs> cut the orange hair and like had a good game against the Timberwolves of all teams. Timberwolves are the worst team in the league. So, I mean, what's that really worth? I mean, yeah, he got a good confidence game in, but now with him out for at least four weeks, man, like <sighs> good luck. Like I just, the thing with him is like, I had them picked to be number one in the West. And at this point they need an absolute fucking miracle for that to even come close to happening. Uh, CJ's out indefinitely. They said they're going to evalu- <gasps> evaluate him at four to six weeks. Oh, you uh, said indefinitely. I thought you meant like it was going to be months. No, no. They're saying indefinitely because they said they're going to reevaluate him in four to six weeks. So who knows what that even means? You know, that that could be longer uh, before he can. That might be how long it takes for him to be able to, you know, get conditioned again and work right. out. And then, you know, he might take another week or so to even get in game playing shape again. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we'll see how long that takes. Nurk's out um, for at least four, I believe. I'm not sure if you know the exact number on that. He's out for a shorter amount of time than CJ is because, you know, CJ's is a little bit more serious, I guess you could say. Nurk just broke his wrist. So, I mean, when he comes back... Yeah, but I want to say it's at least... Yeah, like at least like four to six weeks, I'd say. Right. So, I mean, that's that's tough. And like, that's only going to hurt your defense more with having Nurk, even though he is you know, not that terrifying on defense. He does help you just in terms of the fact that he's a big, bigger, bigger body you can put out there. Um, Yeah. But it's just sad for them to see them uh, go through these injuries because it's undoubtedly going to make them tank. Uh, CJ, CJ was arguably their best player. So with him being down, Dame's been slumping. Dame is slumping pretty hard. Yeah. So hopefully Dame can turn it around now that he's going to literally be the sole the sole option, um, which is sad because, you know, they have pieces on their bench that should uh, be valuable for them. Uh, But yeah, you know, uh, having losing CJ is just so, so tough for them. Um, Also, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, I heard someone basically destroying their net rating when Ennis Cantor and uh, Carmelo Anthony are both on the floor. And it's just... It's yeah, their net rating is just horrible with those two guys on the floor. So they got to stop playing them together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've also heard, and to, to their credit, I haven't seen enough of their games to really know, but I've heard that they're posting Carmelo Anthony up way too much. Like this dude needs to be a spot up shooter at this point in his career. And I've heard that they, they are posting him up. I don't know if they've adjusted it. This was like, like, you know, like a couple weeks ago when I heard this, uh, but that you should not be doing that with Carmelo so... um, at this stage. I kind of I kind of counter that in a way that I think that 
they the Blazers need Mellow. The Blazers need Mellow. I'm not saying you don't need Mellow, but I'm not saying I'm saying you don't need to be posting him up. You need Mellow to be. But he's good at it. But he's good at it. Mellow is. He hasn't been good good. this year. I mean, I don't know. It's just you at least get some numbers aren't there this year. Yeah, probably not because yeah, this is what like his fifteenth or sixteenth season. So I mean, yeah, same as LeBron. Seven. uh, It's seventeen or eighteen. That's crazy. So I mean, I don't know. Usually, what I had seen from Mellow, especially in this early on in the season was that he was kind of sizing up guys from the high post and working in the mid range and wasn't really posting up low. You know, he's not trying to really get a lot of shots at the basket, but he definitely, I would say it was a mostly positive usage because he took the ball out of CJ and Dame's hands and let them rest because I don't know. I guess that's just what the Blazers offense comes is going to be is that they let Dame and CJ work and then they're going to let Melo work in the mid range and then let Nurk work in the, like the post and stuff. And like, I don't know, but as sad it is to see those big pieces go missing. I feel like this is going to be a real gut check for this Blazers team right now, because what have they got to lose? So what they just, they can't just mope around because their two best, two of their best guys are out right now. What they can do, they let Giles get some minutes because everyone's been blabbering about him online. Either we see what works or see what doesn't. He has to get minutes now, you know? And whether he's going to be a straight meme about it or just to actually step up and have a role on a team, I feel like is going to be the answer to a lot of the Blazers' problems because if he proves to be a positive defensive center, then the Blazers have to really give a good possibility of starting him, you know, for at least the entirety of Nurk's absence, and then he's Nurk's immediate backup. And I feel like if playing Canner is really hurting you this much, then he can't be the backup center, even though he's providing good offensive numbers. And maybe you can run some kind of setup where Canner works more in the high post and Giles works more in the low post and stays out of his way so that he can get his numbers and still contribute, at least offensively. But if it's hurting you that bad, then they have to move on. They have to move on from it because Nurkic just, I mean, uh, Cantor is just a complete negative on defense. And this is the time for Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington to step up as well. These guys really need to find out what their role is going to be on this team and how they're going to find their real rhythm so that they can be ready for come playoff time, you know, because this team wants to compete in the playoffs. Dame and CJ want to compete in the playoffs. So that's what they're expecting of their teammates is to be ready to compete in the playoffs. And it's also a great time to see Gary Trent Jr. step into his own role as well. Granted, he's been out a few games here and there because of random small injuries, but I have a lot of faith in Gary Trent Jr. being the next guy up for the Blazers, being that third good piece that they have that they can run, you know, and and rely on exactly because he can be a knockdown three point shooter and we've seen him we've seen him do it against the Lakers he went off mm-hmm. against them and looked low key unstoppable at least for stretches and he mm-hmm. plays great defense he can hit the mid range pull up which is so impressive like I feel like he's the best mid range pull up shooter on the team other than CJ CJ is obviously number one he's one of the best in the league but yeah like Trent Jr really impresses me and he could be a guy that really shines in CJ's absence. Yeah, I think he definitely has to step up and fill that void uh, in lack of offensive production that you're losing without CJ. Mm -hmm. I guess for me to summarize, 
my feelings about this team um, with them in their current state moving forward. Damian Lillard is not a player that you you should doubt confidently. So like, I can't sit here and doubt this Portland team too confidently because we've seen time and time again, when Dame Lillard's back is against the wall, that is when this dude fucking shines Mm -hmm. and he will Mm -hmm. grind and he will will his team to victories. Exactly. Um, So I would say this is going to be one of those moments here for, you know, four to six, maybe eight weeks uh, where Dame Lillard is going to have to fucking grind. And Mm -hmm. we're going to have to see that, that just, yeah, that hunger. You're going to need that from him. Um, yeah. And he's just, he's someone that I've lost, um, on doubting before. So I would hate to jump to conclusions, uh, with that because, um, when his back's against the wall, that's when he really steps up. So I would say their back is, uh, kind of against the wall with those uh, two guys being out. So definitely trending that way. Yeah. But there's so many opportunities for guys on that team to really step up and show that they're worth all this hype that we were giving them, you know? So yes, they are one of our biggest disappointments in the season so far, but I would say this is our number one option on the one we're definitely not giving up hope on, especially me, (laughs) especially me. I want to see the Blazers pull through. Yeah, but uh, definitely not going to be finishing uh, the season at the uh, top of the West by any means. And uh, (laughs) quite frankly, their team is going to have to look a lot better than this. And Dame Lillard is going to have to really, uh, really start stepping up in order for him to be in MVP conversation. Like I thought he would uh, be. So yeah, it's definitely not looking great for the Portland trailblazers, but we'll keep our hope. Uh, You'll definitely keep your hope since you're a pretty big fan of them. Um, I would say that about does it for our uh, regretful take segment there, man. Uh, Let's go ahead and move into the last uh, big piece that we had today. And that is this, uh, this great little uh, look at rookies that you've prepared for us. So I'll go ahead and toss it over you, man, and have you segue into that. So I want to start this with a question from your eye test alone, who has been the most impressive rookie that you've seen? So the issue with that is that I haven't seen enough of the rookies to know. I haven't seen enough of the rookies to play to know like who really is like the true standout in terms of what I've seen, just because I've watched so many other games, um, Isaac Kokoru has been a solid piece for the Cleveland Cavaliers, mm-hmm. uh, has been a big part of their defensive uh, competency and has really? also had moments where he's hitting some big shots for them as well. Um, so for me, Isaac Okoru, uh is actually impressive. I was kind of down on them as for him. I was actually kind of down on him as a pick for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I thought they should have went with uh, Obi Toppin or uh, someone of that nature. Uh, but Okoru has actually made a difference for this Cleveland Cavaliers team mm-hmm. and has been a decent rotation player for them. So props to him. Uh, in terms of you know just from what I've heard. Uh, I would say Cole Anthony has probably been pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, seen a lot of highlights from him. Uh, a, for me uh, personally, oh, sorry. I was just going to wrap it up. For me personally, it would be a Cole Rue just because that's who I've watched the most. Uh, but I don't think that's a fair... Then Yeah, that's that's definitely a net positive for the Cavs. But um, some of my favorite rookies that I've seen so far. First, I feel like the most impressive rookie I've seen is James Wiseman. I like Wiseman for the Warriors a lot. And I think he's going to be a legitimate piece because I could see this guy under Draymond's, you know, like 
under Draymond's like uh, tutelage, I guess. I don't know if that would be the right word. Bringing but, him in under under his wing. Yeah, yeah. Just like under Draymond's like advice, this guy could become a legitimate defensive piece that's able to stretch the floor, and that would just be another completely unique piece that the that the Warriors would have at their disposal and able to let Curry and Thompson and Draymond Green have some like another superstar, maybe not star, maybe not superstar, but definitely close to star or close to all-star level talent that can elevate their games as well and they can rely on, you know? That's kind of what I think for Wiseman right now. Granted, I feel like that's a lot on him because he's only playing about 21 minutes a night for the Warriors and he's getting a lot of fouls in that time too. So he's been close to fouling out at least a couple of times this season. And I think it's because he's trying to be that aggressive defensively. You know, he's probably hearing a lot about how he should improve defensively and shaping up. So, I mean, that's just him playing more physical or, and, you know, definitely going through the motions of learning how to play NBA or NBA level defense. So he's definitely going to get his hand caught in the cookie jar at some point, but I just, you know, I've been impressed with him because he seems like he has good offensive instincts and he definitely needs to work on getting rebounds and stuff. But I mean, I, he just looks like he has more of a complete offensive game for a center than a lot of guys that you usually see, you know, he seems like, especially for being this young and really not playing that much in college due to the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. So, um, he has a good looking jump shot and I think that's going to do him pretty well, at least because he seems like he can be at least somewhat capable three point shooter, which opens up the floor so much for the warriors. And, he seems like he could be a really good like run and gun kind of center where he's just, you know, going uh basket to basket basically. He just he has that kind of athleticism potential. So, yeah, he's definitely one of the more impressive rookies that I've seen this year and I've enjoyed watching him play at least of any respect that I can give the Warriors. I've enjoyed watching James Wiseman. And uh, I think to your point, uh Draymond Green probably is a perfect like defensive mentor for a young guy like Wiseman. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's probably going to be really uh, instrumental in developing uh, Wiseman from a defensive uh, standpoint with his career. Um, I think it's uh Wiseman should feel pretty blessed to be playing next to Draymond. Um, and really I think would have a lot to learn. So uh, yeah, hopefully Draymond can, can be a solid, and solid you know, role model for him. You know who else should feel blessed playing next to Draymond Green? Andrew uh, Wiggins. Steph. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins, because he is low-key seemed to buy into the defensive culture the, the Warriors have and is becoming an actually competent defensive player. You know? Right. He's been getting blocks and steals and running in transition, and it's pretty good for his game. I mean, I hope Wiggins makes a comeback, but, you know, can't trust that guy. But, no, but yeah. So, not. Wiseman's definitely been one of the best players that I've seen out of this rookie class. Um, Gotta give a shout out here. One of my favorite guys that I've watched play so far, Jay Sean Tate for the Houston Rockets. A local mm-hmm. here. Grew up in grew up in Ohio, I believe, but played at Pickerington Central High School and went to Ohio State University, the Ohio State University. And showing that he can be a piece in this league, which gotta say, not a lot of guys from Ohio State outside of like Mike Conley have been able to say that. Evan Turner and Michael Red, but not a LeBron lot of guys. Fucking James. Yeah, LeBron James is wants to be a spiritual Ohio State 
player. But, but he's from Akron, bro. I'm just saying he's like from Ohio. He's literally like one of the greatest players of all time. And he's from Ohio. Yeah. I feel like Ohio ain't got no B-ball talent, bro. Okay. But what about we birthed from LeBron Ohio? James? Just from Ohio State, though. Just the Ohio oh, okay. State basketball. That's fair. I mean, D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. D-Lo. D. <laughs> <laughs> A little like, underwhelming. I mean, yeah, that's what it but, seems like the entire uh, output. Beside, besides LeBron James. LeBron James, yes, is a state product, but he's not an Ohio state product. No, that's fair. Because think, Greg. So what did you see from Tate that you've liked so far, though? He's just, he's just uh, versatile. If I can say one thing about him, he's just versatile. He's a good athlete and can definitely play competent NBA defense. He... He's good for a steal or like a sneaky block or something, you know, like he's just, he's that player that really just closes the margins for you. You know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be that kind of stopgap level player because yeah, he can hit a three in transition maybe once in a while. Yeah. He can get a couple points here and there, but it's really going to come down to him just putting in effort level plays, you know, and that's what I feel like he's going to do to keep on this Houston Rockets team. And it seems like he's going to be a somewhat good asset to them because Who's another guy that we've seen definitely take a big step and he kind of has the same defensive mentality. That's Lou Gantz Dort on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Lou Gantz Dort has taken a big step forward this season after his good playoffs and locking down James Harden. So you kind of hope that Tate can step into that role for the Rockets and just be that good defensive piece that they need. And he plays power forward at like six foot five. So I mean, he's definitely playing outside of he's his taking on some limits. tough assignments. Yeah. And um, you know who's been mentoring him is PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker's mm-hmm. kind of like been his his mentor when he stepped into the NBA because I remember hearing an interview where Tate himself had said, I just reached out to PJ Tucker because he'd been in the same situation where he'd played overseas before he got his chance in the NBA, you know? And mm-hmm. they I feel like they've probably just uh, built a bond, especially now that they play on the same team. So I mean it's just it's good to see him be able to find at least a somewhat of a role with the Rockets, even though they're a team that really, really has an identity problem right now. But it's just, I'm happy to see it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, who else you got on your list? So my last guy here, I've definitely watched less of his games than the other two, but it's Tyrese Maxey from the Philadelphia 76ers. Been hearing a lot of noise around him. So the Philadelphia 76ers are a pretty interesting team this season they definitely look a lot more dynamic offensively. Um, I have not been super impressed with the play that Ben Simmons offers because I feel like at least six times a game, Ben Simmons will take the ball from, you know, a handoff off of a change in possession and he'll just sprint right down the court, find himself at his own baseline, stops, looks back and just tosses a pass back to a guy that's on the three-point line and it's just a play that always goes nowhere. And I just, you know, you start to wonder what Simmons offers to a team, but then you see that those other 70 possessions that he has, he ends up uh, making something good out of it because, you know, he definitely has good passing vision. And the Sixers really, really, really missed that in the playoffs. And it was very apparent. So they're off-season acquisitions and draft picks this year have really tailored pretty well for them because, you know, they have Shake Milton. Obviously, who we're talking about here is Tyrese Maxey. Um, 
Maxi has definitely contributed offensively, and it takes a lot of pressure off of guys like Embiid and Simmons to completely produce everything for this team. And that's what they needed. They needed shooting around them. They needed guys that could get their own shot around them. So that way they could, you know, not have to be these sole contributors for 48 minutes a night, you know? Yeah. And like Ben Simmons is quite literally just been horrible this season. Um, his stats have actually, well, I wouldn't call him horrible um, though. That's dude, his stats are worse right now than his rookie season. I feel like Simmons. It's not about stats for him. I feel like he's a margins player as well. Think about Jay Sean Tate, but take him four levels higher. That's Ben Simmons. You know, he's a guy that's going to do the effort level plays on defense. He is such an excellent defender. And yeah, he's pretty limited offensively, but what he can get on the offensive end, he does at least okay. Yes, it's definitely taken some regression this season, but he's shown that he can be an elite finisher, you know, and really able to finish over guys in the post. But outside of that, it's pretty barren. It's a barren wasteland. But I mean, that's what that's what Simmons is for the Sixers team. I feel like he, outside of his stats, he hasn't been completely worthless for them. So uh, to not get too long-winded on him, uh, what are you seeing from Maxi um, that, that's been good? So what I was going to flip that into is that the Sixers had a bad playoffs and we all saw that. They got pretty heavily exposed. And what they were missing were those guards that could take the pressure off the shoulders of Embiid and Simmons. And obviously they were missing Simmons, so it was all on Embiid. And um, what's really helping them is having an offensive system under Doc Rivers. Even though Maxi, he takes a lot of those size up CJ McCollum-like jumpers, except off of screens instead of just straight sizing them up in an isolation style, you know? He catches the ball off the screen, he sprints to like, like the top of the key, and then takes these like mid-range jumpers, but he's good at it. And sometimes he even does a hesitation after that screen and can drive in. And that's where he's been most effective for the Sixers. And I, his offensive creation and just overall skill set on the offensive end have just really impressed me. And I feel like he's filling a good void on this Sixers team and is part of the reason why they're the top team in the East right now, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I believe they are the top team in the East. And uh, like you said, they're, they're a really interesting team. So um, mm-hmm. bravo to Maxi to be able to be one of the reasons that they are interesting. Uh, it's crazy. He was uh, uh, allegedly being shopped around in that deal um, for yeah. James Harden. Yeah. And so was Simmons and Simmons was told that. That's just crazy to even think about because that's a whole different situation if they land Harden. But I think the team that the Sixers have around them right now is going to be their optimal team more so than what they would have got with James Harden because they have to run this core. They have to run this core to what it's to its extent and see what they're going to get out of it. Because if they don't, they're just robbing themselves of something potentially amazing with Embiid and Simmons. You know, they got the help that they need around them. Your guy, Seth Curry balling out for the Sixers. He's looking like one of the purest shooters in the league right now. Absolutely balling out. It's great to see. Like he's just taking on that big offensive load for the Sixers. And the other night he was finally off, off the like COVID protocols. Exactly. And he's showing he hasn't lost a step at all. No. And uh <clears throat> I don't think Curry gets the respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, he can be uh, a bit of a liability on defense sometimes. Uh, but when he tries, um, he does he does play competent defense. And the guy is a light out, lights out shooter. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's just, uh, I think it's a good fit for him on Philly um, in the sense that he's, gonna, he's getting a lot of looks like he was in Dallas because you have a guy like uh, Ben Simmons and Embiid who when they drive, you know, they pull... They pull a lot of defense uh, towards them. So, you know, Curry's mm-hmm. going to be getting those open looks uh, from behind the arc. And that's part of the reason why, you know, Ma- the Mavericks had the most efficient offense of all time last year. A lot of that was credited to Curry. So mm-hmm. uh, props to him to being able to continue to, um, you know, uh, keep up his game uh, in this new environment um, that he uh, was traded into. So. Yeah, I love to see it for sure. And I uh, love to see these young guys that you mentioned, um, you know, just playing hard and, you know, coming into their coming into their own within this league and trying to mm-hmm. find trying to find their place amongst the craziness. So uh, props to those guys. Yeah, it's just it's good to see guys finally find their footing, you know, guys like, you know, Deer and Fox, Colin Sexton and even Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings. He's done pretty well. Um Trying to think of some more guys that are really all the young guys on the Memphis Grizzlies are pretty, pretty well put together. They all just kind of complement each other's skill set right now. And that's the reason. I mean, and they're t- stepping it up defensively. So that's the reason why they're looking so stout right now. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of interesting young guys around around the mellow right balls now. throwing dimes. Yeah, but he's also getting benched in the fourth quarter, too. So <laughs> yeah, but his uh his passing ability is real. Yeah, I definitely believe that too. It definitely is real. Well, man, uh, that probably pretty much does it for the uh, little uh, rookie report you had there. Appreciate you uh, taking your time to uh, take a look at these guys and uh, picking out the ones that uh, most stood out to you. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate that while, look. But, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, we've been planning to record here for. We've been trying to get uh, get an episode done here for about a week, so kept getting pushed back. So you've been sitting on those notes for for a little bit now. Uh, so you're probably feeling good to get those off your chest finally. And those guys have also been consistent. So that makes me happy as well, because that was the thing about doing something like that is that these guys keep building onto their resumes as time goes on. So, I mean, we could record something tomorrow and Tyrese Maxey goes off for 42 points the minute after it happens. So, I mean, you know, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a, it's an ever changing league, uh, and that probably can never be can never be more true uh, than this year, considering all the craziness. So, yeah. Uh, but we had lots of fun recording this episode today. One of the longest ones that we've done in a while. We're over an hour at this point, well over an hour, uh, which brings us into our uh, you know our real closing statement that we always bring in. Uh, thank you to any and all listeners. Uh, we appreciate you. We got you in Texas. We got you in Virginia. We got you in Ohio, uh, God, Canada, uh, Qatar, which is the richest country in the Middle East. We don't know who is listening in Qatar, but we got you out there. India, France, Germany, all over the damn world. The dip has gone global and we appreciate you guys. Uh, so keep it up, download, share, and enjoy our podcast. As always, engage with us on Twitter at PodDip and on Instagram at the Dip Pod. And that about does it for us today, guys. Thanks for coming out. And as we always say, hasta Malenka. Can't say I've ever said that, but hasta luego, people. <laughs>